We'll start with prayer, please. Dear God, as we really read the scripture, it's always true, not helping your own child, because they remember your past. And we welcome the school and family back from Christian, back from your holidays and refreshed. And I read in the book, he always says, God is good all the time, was written in my devotions. I thought it was kind of cute, and I thought of him. It's um, page, page 1596, 1596. Um, Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and knew about him spread the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was the custom's custom. He stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. I'm rolling it, he said, and he found a place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to claim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fast on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph a son? he asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb in me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is except in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in the religious time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Seraphath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah. They shot him, said. The prophet not the only one of them was cleansed, only named him the Syrian. All the people in the sun guy were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked away through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, buddy. So I'm going to invite you to reflect a moment on what was the most ridiculous rule that your parents had growing up, or that your parents currently have if you are still growing up in their house. What's the most ridiculous rule that was there? Just think about it for a moment, okay? Anyone eager to share? 
could not ride your bikes on Sunday. Lived half a mile from a lake, but couldn't go swimming on Sunday. No bathing on Sunday. And she worked on a farm. <laughs> Devon. Be engaged and still have a curfew. Ooh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Others? Okay. Good Friday, there's stuff around that. Yeah. No speaking on Good Friday. Everybody had to be quiet. Yeah. Okay. Nate, this is my son. My, wi my wife is pulling his hand down, but... No opening presents till after dinner on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I got some backing here. Other people agree that's a good one. Certain vegetables were taboo on Sundays. Special vegetables for Sundays. I've not heard that one before. Rick? You weren't allowed to get married. Yeah. So, the reason I ask us to think about that is because behind this text and what's going on in this text are, are a whole set of cultural expectations about what the Sabbath is supposed to be like and what's supposed to happen. In fact, if you, if you pay attention to Judaism and, and kind of study what was going on at that time, there, there's, there's 39 different Sabbath thou shalt nots. Things that you were not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. And they were pretty strict with what was expected and not expected. And, and they had kind of groupings or categories. And, and those groupings and categories of things, um, so building, for example, you weren't allowed to construct something on Sabbath or, or create something. But that also included writing because you were building a world with your words. You were not allowed to create or to build. You couldn't put out fire or, or carry fire from one place to another or start fire unless someone else, someone's life was in danger. That was the one case where you could go and put out the fire. Otherwise, you didn't. And there was all sorts of regulations about what was expected. And, and as we enter this text, and actually as we enter this week and next week, we're going to talk a bit about Sabbath. And the law that we get in the Ten Commandments about keeping the Sabbath day holy, we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, but we're going to talk about it in two parts. And today it's going to look at Sabbath keeping. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Next week we'll talk about Sabbath making. And we catch a glimpse of that Sabbath making in this text but it comes out more fully two chapters later in Luke, in chapter 6. And we'll, we'll pick that up and unpack Sabbath making next week. I want us to read, as we enter into this, this question and answer. It comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, 
was a, a, a kind of a discipleship tool or way of teaching people about the faith that was created in the 1500s. And it, it has kind of stayed through the generations as a, a good tool for instructing us in how to live faithfully. So I'll read the question, and I'm going to invite you to read this response. And the response is two parts, one on this screen, one on the next. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? Sabbath keeping. This is where that language of Sabbath, and this is the fourth commandment. This is where it comes from, out of Deuteronomy chapter 20. I'll just read it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's that idea of holy that sits with us. How do we make a day holy in the way we live? How do we treat a day as holy? And, and holy is one of those, those short, small words, but it's, it, it has a whole lot of meaning to it. it. It really means how do we make something set apart so that it's distinct from the rest of our life? What does it mean to be set aside? And it is often used with set aside for a purpose. So what is the purpose of Sabbath day? What is it set aside for? I want to enter into this text from Luke that Betty read for us. With all those things as background, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. I think it's important for us to stop here and just recognize what was happening. The, the people as a whole were people who gathered regularly for worship. They would gather in the synagogues and actually much of the order of our worship comes out of the things they were doing in the synagogues back then. There's a lot of similarities. You gather together, you would spend time in prayer, you would spend time reading scripture, there was giving of gifts and offerings, all of that stuff. There was a reading of, of scripture and often a, a man in the community would then give a teaching based on that reading of scripture. 
Those things sound similar to us, don't they? Similar to the things we do when we gather for worship. They were doing that. They were engaging God's Word at that time, the Old Testament. And they would read it weekly and engage in it on a regular basis. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, participated right alongside the others. In fact, it, it emphasizes it a couple ways in here. One, it says Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. He's going around teaching in synagogues. So every week he's going out there and on the Sabbath day he's joining with the others in the community he's in and he's joining with them and he's teaching and he's bringing the word and he's working through the word with God's people. And then it says, as was his custom. It, it double emphasizes it. He's doing this all over the place. And here Luke's saying, I'm going to tell you one example of it. There was a time he went back to Nazareth, the place where he was born. And he went there and he started teaching in the synagogue as was his custom. I think sometimes we can get to a space where like, ah, who needs church? And I know I'm preaching to the choir a bit because you're actually all here this morning. But there is something about this rhythm of coming to worship with God's people and coming to gather with God's people that goes way, 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 way back. It's not meant to be a guilt trip. It's not meant to be a wagging of a finger, a duty, a responsibility. It's an invitation to be immersed with God's people in the story of what God has been doing. When we started baptism a little while ago, and I was reading some of those introductory words about the teaching about baptism. We, we talked about how baptism immerses us into the story of what God has been doing. And, and what's played out in this water, in tracing the, the history of water through Scripture, if you will, of how God used water both as judgment and to signify death, going down under the water in the flood, and, and also resurrection of Christ coming up out of the grave into new life that symbolism of being immersed into that story with God and with God's people is part of what the whole service does when we gather for worship just as Jesus gathered for worship we're being immersed into the story of God's people a story that's much much older and story that goes back to the beginning of creation a God who's worthy of praise, a God who gathers us together because God has created and God has sustained and God has redeemed and God is making all things new. In fact, if you look at some of the headers in our bulletin, part of the way we use the language in there, we put God as the primary actor. Because what we're doing in worship is not coming to, to do something for God. When we gather in worship, we're coming to receive from God. God's the one who gathers us. God's the one who calls us to confess our sins. God's the one who gives us the assurance of our salvation. All those things that God is doing and we get to receive and witness it. It begins to shape the way we engage the world. And that's what was supposed to happen here. And Jesus, as the other adults in his society and as the children in his society, would have gone into the synagogue on a regular basis being called into this as a gift to us to help reorient us to what God's at work doing in the world. It's an interesting thing. If, if that's what's happening here, 
There's an interesting exchange that, that happens in this text that, that we need to be aware of because I don't know if you heard it when Betty was reading, but, but something dramatic happened as Jesus was reading this. He stands up to read God's word and, and he reads that word and, and then he, he goes and sits down, which was the posture of a teacher, and he begins to teach them. And he says, today, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody speaks well of him, right? That's what we have here. He, he, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. Kind of the, man, we knew him when he was knee high. He wasn't even two years old and we knew his parents. We know his family. And look, look at how well he's turned out. We had part of that. <laughs> he was part of our community. He's part of us. He's one of us. And, and there's a kind of a self-congratulation that goes on by saying, he's, he's Joseph's son. He's, he's one of us. And, and look at how well he's turned out. But then a flip happens. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. You will tell me, do here in, in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Capernaum, Luke, I, the place Jesus moved to as an adult. He moved away from home and moved to a different city. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he begins to remind them of the history of God's people, that immersing in the story of God, right? He reminds them, remember Elijah? Elijah went out to the widow in Zarephath. She, she was a widow, and there were a lot of widows in Israel, but, but Elijah went to one who didn't belong to the people of Israel. And he says, and remember Elisha? Elisha cured somebody of leprosy, and it was Naaman. And Naaman was a commander in the Syrian army who was oppressing Israel. And Elisha healed him, even though many in Israel never got healed because even though they had leprosy. Jesus is doing what he's supposed to do on the Sabbath, which is help the people see the Word of God, hear the Word of God, and be reoriented and immersed into the Word of God. What he's saying is not innocent or, or kind of calm. He's saying something very pointed. You see... During the time of Elijah, Elijah couldn't find shelter or food in the land of Israel. It was having a famine at that time because the people did not believe the word of God and did not follow the word of God. And so God sent a famine and Elijah leaves the country during that time of famine and he goes to a place where he encounters God's presence. Sometimes they use a technical word called apostate. They say this was a time period, Elijah and Elisha's time period was a time where the people of God were apostate, which means they didn't believe God or follow God. They had, they had professed that they knew God. They went through all the motions of knowing God, but they didn't follow God. They lived however they wanted. They turned their back and walked away. And, and Jesus is saying to the people in Nazareth, I'm immersing you in this story of God and God's people. And I'm going to tell you the reason I'm not doing any miracles in your land and in your city right now 
is the same reason that Elijah had to leave the country and Elisha healed one of your enemies. Because you are an apostate people. You are a people who hear the word of God, who have received the word of God, but who are not following the word of God. It's a hard word. The people realize it. The end of this text in Luke, they get up and, and they rush at Jesus and they drag him out of the city, out of the synagogue, out of the city to the edge of a cliff and they're ready to pitch him over the cliff. This guy needs to die. He just said that God isn't with us. He just said that God's against us and prefers our enemies. Instead of softening their hearts, they harden their hearts. Instead of listening to the word of God, they grabbed the word of God and dragged him out of town. Worship, Sabbath, is a place and time where we remember who God is. It's a time where we're called to let go of everything that's happening in the world around us and in our hearts and say before God, God, this is the mess I'm living in, day in and day out. Where are you? And maybe better yet, where am I in relationship to you? I don't know if you remember David's Psalm 139. It's, it's a psalm often used with baptisms. It's a psalm that talks about how God created us and knit us together in our mother's wombs. It's got a beautiful imagery in it of God knowing us from the very beginning, from conception, of treasuring us. At the end of that psalm, after meditating on how well God knows us, David simply says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a Sabbath prayer. That's a prayer of someone who's been immersed in God's word and God's story, who understands God as creator and God is active in the world today, who understands that, that the world is in rebellion against God and that we ourselves at times rebel against God. And it's a psalm that ultimately says, God, I don't want to rebel against you anymore. I want to come near to you. I want to draw close to you. I want to see your word and, and understand your word and live within your word. Search me, O oh God. Can you imagine, instead of grabbing Jesus and dragging him out of town, the people had said, you're right. We've been hearing your word, but we haven't been doing what it says. We've known your word all our lives, but we've been ignoring what you've called us to do. We repent. We hear the Spirit speaking through you. When we engage this text, we see the, the angst and the struggle and, and the tension of hearing a hard word from God. And the choice before the people, they acted in one way and were really called to respond in a different way. To be a people who gather regularly and say, God, immerse me in your word. That my life might be transformed. That I might live not according to my ways and my desires, but according to your ways. Every day of my life. I want to go back 
the Heidelberg Catechism here and just highlight a couple things. It's remarkable to me when the reformers were writing this in the mid-1500s and, and John Calvin writes about the Sabbath observance in several places and Martin Luther does and, and they lived in ways that, that demonstrated how to engage the Sabbath, they didn't come up with a list of do's and don'ts. Do you notice that in this Heidelberg Catechism? There isn't anything about you shall not go swimming at the lake half a mile down the road. There isn't anything about you shall not make food on the Sabbath day, you shall prepare it on Saturday night or the special vegetables. There isn't anything like that in here. What it is, is actually very positive oriented. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. The first thing about Sabbath is that we are a people who get immersed regularly into the gospel, into the story of God's grace for us in Jesus Christ, that we are a people who are continually brought back again and again and immersed into the Word of God. That is the first way we keep the Sabbath. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. That we are a people being immersed in the story of God. And that especially on the festive day of rest. Now if someone asked you, describe the Sabbath day, be honest, how many of us would have said festive day of rest? I don't see any hands. You would. That's great to hear because that's part of your tradition, Jerry, that you've been immersed. You've been immersed in this. There is a sense that if we are really immersed in the understanding of the Reformed tradition and the way of reading Scripture, more importantly, we'll see Sabbath not as a burden, but as a festive day of rest, a day of delight and celebration. And you know what? That's why I get excited when we have cake here. It's part of what this day is supposed to be. There's ice cream afterwards today, by the way. It's not cake, it's ice cream. So there, there is a sense that we should be partying together and hanging out together and celebrating and, and, and delighting in goodness together. A festive day of rest. How do you keep the Sabbath? You have a party together. That's part of what it's saying to us. Because God is good all the time. It continues here. It adds into this. Here, here's what it means for us personally. We'll diligently attend the gathering of God's people. Not out of duty, not out of we have to do this. It's a heavy burden on us. Because it's a festive day of delight and because we are a people immersed in God's word, we're going to come here and gather together with God's people to learn what God's Word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, to bring Christian offerings for the poor. This is how we learn, even in our worship, to participate in God's big story. Because having received from God, we turn around and we give to others. That's why offerings are a part of our worship. We have received from God, and because we have received from God, we turn and pass that blessing to others. That's why at the beginning of the service, when I give a greeting, the first thing we do after that greeting is we've received it, and we turn around and pass it to somebody else. We're learning habits as we get together that carry out beyond our walls. 
so that we are a people who, having been immersed in God's story of grace, become a people who live God's story of grace in the way we hand things to others, the way we engage with others, the way we give generously to others, even as God has given generously to us. But there's more. It's like a gift that keeps giving. There's more in here. Because you know what? Sabbath day isn't just about this hour and a half we're together on Sunday morning. The catechism actually teaches us that it's a way of life. Listen to this. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. The ceasing or the stopping that happens on the Sabbath day and is meant to be part of the daily Sabbath rhythm is not a ceasing or stopping of activity per se. It's a ceasing and stopping of sin. It's getting to a place where we confess our sins freely and say, I'm going to let go of this sin. I'm going to turn from this sin because of God's goodness. And by His Spirit, I'm going to enter into a new way of living. It's transformation. It's dying and rising. It is, it is that baptismal life of going under and coming back up, of saying, I die to my sin, I rise to the new life in Christ. I die to my sin, I rise to new life in Christ. That's why we do that uncomfortable space of silence in worship where we allow ourselves to confess sins. It's why we have a section in our worship service that confesses sins. Not just so you can confess them once a week when you get here, but that together we learn this as a pattern of living. That we are to be a people who continually say before God, Lord, I've sinned. Forgive me. Draw me into a new way of living in your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we do this, not on our own strength, but but by what God has done in Jesus Christ already and what God is doing in the Spirit now among us, we begin to live as if heaven is on earth. We begin to live in such a way that that eternal rest that's coming, that heaven that we long for, where all is right and all is good, starts to show up and we taste it and we see it here and now. Next week, we're going to unpack a little bit more of what that tasting and seeing it and feeling it and experiencing it here and now when we talk about Sabbath making. But this morning, as we end this space, we're going to immerse ourselves once again into part of that story. The part of the story that, that we're called to hear on Sabbath that makes it all possible for us to confess our sins, for us to enter into the new life that God calls us to, and that is the story of Christ's death and resurrection. A moment after we sing, we'll, we'll take the covers off the bread, and we'll pass that bread around, and we'll taste Christ's body, and we'll pass the cup around, and we'll taste Christ's blood. Those symbols given to us as a means of grace to seal in our hearts the truth and the reality that, that God has loved us in His Son even when we were sinners, even when we had turned away from Him and that in and through His Son He has drawn us back to Himself. There isn't anything more fitting for us on this Sabbath day than to remember that God loves us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, 
all of life is good and new and right. And it's being made so by his spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for your abundant and lavish grace, God. We are blown away by how good and faithful you are. You call us to keep this Sabbath for our own good, that we might not forget you, but that we might remember day in and day out that you are Lord of heaven and earth. And even in your holiness, you reach out to us to forgive our sins to rescue us from our sins, to set us free so that we might live faithfully with you. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it all possible, and for your Holy Spirit, who leads us and guides us day in and day out. You have given us gifts, Lord, that know no ending. Christ, we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together a song that, that's somewhat new. We've sung it once or twice before, but not often here. It's, it's called God Whose Giving Knows No Ending. It's number 876 in the red hymnals. It will be projected. Please stand as we sing. <laughs>